Morning. Well, we're so glad you're here with us today. My name is James Westbrook. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Church. And if you're visiting with us today, we're so grateful that you're here. And so if there's anything that we can do to help you feel more comfortable, if you want to learn more about the church, be sure, please, to fill out the information card. And we want to make sure we get some information out to you. Amen. All right. Well, we are in our second installment in the book of Jonah. And we are now in Jonah 2. And last week, we learned about a brother who ran from God. He thought he can outrun a bullet, thought he can break the sound barrier, thought he can do the impossible. He thought he can run from God, escape from God's presence. What we're looking at is a person who fell to the irrationality and insanity of sin. And that is what sin is before God. It is all irrational. There's some things that my kids do where I just, I'm baffled. I just look at them and say, why? Just, just what, why would you do that? And, and we have this with our brother. Like, why would you run from God and believe you can get away with it? And so we learn from this book. We learn that this is a book about God's grace and God's love. We learned the phrase last week that sometimes God's grace is gritty. It doesn't always feel good. Not like a cool summer breeze that makes you feel fun. That's a little Isaac, brother. Some of us got that. We'll get it when you get home. Don't worry about it. But we learn about God's grace. God's grace, it extends way beyond what we can ever hope sometimes for other people. And also even for ourselves, we learn a lot about God. We see Jonah. We see that Jonah, a prophet of God, this brother is robbed of his vitality in life, his spiritual vitality. And that's what sin does, doesn't it? It robs us of spiritual vitality. It robs us of a sense that we are close and near to God. It robs us. And this is exactly what we have with Jonah this morning. So that's the question that I want to ask for us this morning. Are you in a Jonah 1? Are you in chapter 1 right now, even in your own personal life? See, that's what we want to deal with. Jonah 1, do you feel like you're running from God in a particular area in your life? Lord, don't touch that one. I want to keep on running with this thing. Don't leave it alone. Somebody gets close to it. No, you, you guard. No, don't touch it. Don't worry about it. I'm working on it. You feel, you feel spiritually stagnant or spiritually indifferent or simply lack a closeness that you yearn with God. If that's you, I want to talk with you this morning because I believe that Jonah 2 has something to say. Because this essentially has a lot to do with the source of our discouragement as it comes to what it means to grow as a Christian. We can be really discouraged when it comes to this thing, growth as a Christian. I don't know, Lord, what you're doing in my life right now, but I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm moving anywhere. I like what Dr. Rich Plass has to say to the dead. He says, the root of our becoming discouraged in our spiritual journey comes from our not being able to see adequate change. We're often discouraged because we have faulty expectations of ourselves on how quickly we can change, and we have faulty expectations of what God is doing in us to create change. We're often a little we're frustrated. Lord, I wish I should have been further along in this thing. I should have been, been moving along. I should have been growing now. I should be eating meat in this area instead of drinking milk. We, we find ourselves just simply frustrated. But I want to submit to you that repentance is a key vehicle that the Lord uses in, in, in transforming you more into the image of Christ. It's repentance. It's repentance. It's, it's turning from and turning towards God. And so I want to talk about that this morning, 
how, what a vehicle God uses to grow his people. So I've titled this, Repentance, A Cry from the Deep. And so with that in mind, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 17, pick up on that last verse, and then we're going to continue on. He writes, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for, your, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me and my over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Spirit, we ask that you will meet us in this, in this place right now, that you will quicken hearts, that you will, Lord, meet us exactly where we need, Lord. That, Lord, that we will not leave this place, Lord, the same that we entered this place. Lord, we desperately need you and we cry out to you. Lord, we invite you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're following along with me in your bulletins, I want you to follow along and I want you to see that there are three stations of repentance from the book of Jonah this morning, from Jonah chapter 2. So the first station I want us to look at is the, is the um, uh, verse 117, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 17, the producer of repentance. God is the producer of repentance. Let's look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, what you see here is you see Jonah coming to the end of himself. You're, if, you're, if you remember, Jonah has just been found out. He thought he could run from God. He thought he can hide from God in the center of the ship. But God says that, no, your sin is before you, Jonah. And he calls Jonah up through the sailors. And he calls him up to confront him. And Jonah realizes that, listen, there's nothing I can do. There is nothing I can do to get away from this thing. And God then says that, listen, uh, conviction on his heart, the only way that this thing is going to stop, the only way that the sea is going to stop from his raging is if you hurl me off the, the boat. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He says, I need you to do that by a strong hand, I need to be removed out of this thing. And then God has cast him out into the sea through the sailors. And then he appoints a, a, a fish to swallow him. Now, that seems a bit drastic, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but we're going to see why this is necessary. Listen, I want us to know here, uh, first of all, that the word here for fish is not the word for well in the Hebrew. There is a word for well, but they don't use it. They use fish. 
I, I suspect that Jonah really doesn't know what this is. He don't know what it is. All he knows is that, look, man, I'm in the belly of this thing, and uh, I'm in the belly of this big fish. I want you to also know that only, only 5% of life in the ocean has been discovered to this point. Only 5%. We have no idea what's in the ocean. And whatever's in this ocean, whether it's at the bottom of the sea or whether it's in the medium, the medium stage, whatever it is, God appointed that thing and said, hey, listen, come here. I got a job. I got a plan for you. And he did that plan. Why is God doing this? Why does he have appoint this fish to swallow Jonah? Jonah is most likely thinking that he's about to die, that he's about to breathe his last. And God says, hey, listen, I'm not finished with you. God could have allowed Jonah to go way out of the way to modern-day Spain and sip on a pina colada on some beach somewhere. But God said, no, I'm not going to let you get back. Come on back here. I love you too much to let you go to Tarshish and self-destruct, one, and I love people too much to, to, to let them not hear the gospel, not hear the message that I have for them. See, I don't want to use anybody else. I want to use you. you. You are in the plan, and so we got to make sure we get you there. And God is very intentional about that, but he needs to do something to Jonah in order to get him to do this thing. And the, and the pointing of the fish is an act of God's grace, an act of his love. His grace and his love, listen, it is effectual in our lives. That means that it's going to accomplish something. It will have the calculated particular effect that is necessary to create the necessary transformation that we need in our heart if we're going to repent before God. And this is what the, the fish serves as this tool of repentance. He wants Jonah to repent. He wants Jonah to turn. He wants Jonah to turn in his heart and in his mind. This is what it means to repent. Meta. This is where we get the word metamorphosis. I want you to transform your mind about this thing. I need you to think differently about this. I need you to believe differently in your heart about this. I need you to stop the direction that you're going, and I need you to turn around, and I need you to go to Nineveh. This is what God is doing, and the heart is stubborn, isn't it? After 13 years of marriage, my wife will tell you, yes, my husband can be stubborn. Look to your left, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I'm stubborn. Look to your right and say, neighbor, I'm stubborn, and God knows that. You're not alone. He agrees with you. I, I'm reminded of the hymnist. I love when he writes that the heart is prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The heart is always wanting to get away from God. Calvin said that the heart is an idol-producing factory. That's what you can expect from the heart. God knows it, and God is going to work on this heart, but he's going to do this in a way that he produces it. Why does God do this? Why does God want the repentance? Why does he want us to continually, continually go to him confessing our sins? Listen, let me submit this to you. It's not in a, a legal paradigm that God is looking at this through as it pertains to us. You know, we, we got right theology. You know, when we sin, it is a transgression against God, and we have to enter into the court of God, and somebody has to pay for the sin in the court of God, and so God has placed this sin on Jesus because he's the only one that can shoulder this thing. All right, that's some good theology. But that's not the paradigm he's looking at this thing. It's not through a legal lens. It's through a relational lens. It's because of a relationship. It's because something has been violated relationally, not legally. That's not the motivation here. 
See, when my wife says that, James, do you, do you love me? I don't call my lawyer and pull out the, the paperwork and say that, yes, I love you according to the contract. It says it right here. Why do you keep asking me? That's not the lens. No, it's like, well, she said, James, I, do you love me? Yes, baby, I love you. That's why I entered into a relationship with you. That's why I married you, sweetie. I love you. I'm crazy about you. That's what love is. That's what the relational paradigm is. And that is God calling his people, listen, back the creature, back to the creator. The rebel brought home, children's back brought back to their fathers. This is what God wants for Jonah and is what he wants for all of us in this room. He wants that relationship restored. This is the paradigm of Christianity. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, it tells us, listen, all of Christianity can be summed in these two commandments. Love God with everything in you. Everything in you, love God with that. And love people as you love yourself. See, sin is through a relational paradigm. It's when we violate that relationship. And, and Jonah is violating the relational glue of his relationship with God. He's saying, that, no, Lord, I don't want to obey you. And he's saying, no, Lord, I don't love those people. Love of God and love of people is what's being broken here. God is telling him to come on back, but he can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. I've, in my 20 years of Christianity, I can tell you that there's times in my life where I said, Lord, I can't get out of this thing. I can't get out of my feelings of indifference, my spiritual apathy. Lord, I need you to do something in this place. Well, we're reminded of John 6 and 44. Reminded of how God does this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. See, it takes the Spirit to bring us into relationship with God. Ephesians 2 tells me that, listen, I wasn't looking for God. I was dead in my sins. 20 years ago, I was not looking for God. I was low at my lowest point, and God made me alive through the Spirit, Ephesians 2. God, if God needs the Spirit to, if God uses the Spirit to draw us into the kingdom, it's the Spirit also that continues to draw us back to God again. And this is what he's doing with Jonah and certainly what he does in our life. God is using this fish. He appoints this fish to do, to have a certain effect on the brother and his heart. Listen, I like to cook. I like to cook. I like to bake. All right, I'm going to put it on out there. All right? But I'm telling you, when I go over to my friend's house, and, and don't judge me, okay? Invite me over your house. I'm not going to judge you cooking, okay? Just let me put that out as a precursor. But I love going over to my friend's house. But when they cook and, and they say that, you know what, this didn't turn out the way I, I wanted to. I'm like, oh, it's all good. Don't worry about it. I ain't, you know, I ain't picky. Uh, did you have directions? Yeah, I had directions. Well, what happened? You know, I mean, they said, I look at the directions more as a suggestion. Well, that, you got what you wanted then. There are directions for a reason. Listen, God is a God of the ingredients as well as the directions, and he applies it to us perfectly that he may get the result that he wants. That is our comfort this morning, that when God appoints the fish, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. Amen? And God is very intentional about this thing, and we're going to see what the fish is going to do. So not only is God the appointer or the producer of the repentance in our life, he does this through taking us to a certain place. God works with place in our life. He does that through taking us to place. And we see that in verses uh, 1 through 9 of chapter 2. 
See, while God is producer of, of, of repentance in our lives because of his love and mercy, because of relationship, right? He takes us to a certain place in order, in order to, to produce a flesh-like heart, a heart that has been made of stone or that has been have stony layers to it because of sin. That's what sin does. It makes us more and more indifferent to the thing the more and more we do it. And God has to take us to a certain place. He has to take us to a certain place that, the, that he may apply the spiritual scalpel of surgery to the patient with the stony heart. And the culture, our culture tells us the exact opposite of this. Listen, the culture says, follow your heart. Whatever your heart, just do it. Don't worry about it, okay? You want to follow that heart right to the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. And this brother's following his heart. No, don't you trust that thing. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, the word, the word says. It is a, a wretched thing. And God has to continue to mold and break the heart that it may catch up to its positional sanctification. You're, you're made right in God. You're made right in God, but there's some things that have to catch up to that sanctification, him, being, him making you right. And so what place does, and what we're going to see here in chapter 2 here, what place does for Jonah is it brings him to a certain place. It brings him to a place that, oh, okay, I see that I'm not going to die. You would think after, after a day or so, he's like, okay, I'm not sure if I'm going to die or not. But whatever it is, I, I'm starting to get the point. I'm starting to get the point, Lord, that, that I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be in this place anymore. See, that's what place does. It brings us to a certain place in our lives where we say that, God, don't let me be in this place anymore. And sometimes we got to get to the place in our lives where we get sick of our sin. Or we get sick of doing things over and over again in a particular way. Sometimes we got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You've heard it before. That's what place does. God uses place as a means of grace to say that, listen, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm tired of fighting with my wife. I'm tired of the spiritual apathy. I'm tired of receiving and never giving. Listen, there are people in this church, this church is full of gifts and talents that are not being used because you are in a season of just receiving and God is calling you to give. I have to get to a place of saying that, listen, I'm tired of just being a receiver. I'm tired of this computer in my, in my face every day, every night, and what it has stolen from me. You've got to get to a place where you said, Lord, bring me to that place where I'm, I'm tired of being disconnected from your voice and from a sense of your presence. Bring me to that place. And see, God, he knows how long to keep you in the belly of the fish in order to bring you to that place and place is very important to Jonah as he thinks back on this thing. Sometimes when we read the, read the scriptures, we, we forget that, um, you know, there's a process to this thing. He's not writing this in the well, obviously. I would be impressed if he was, but he's not. He's, this is retrospect. This is recollection. This is him thinking back on this thing. And, and when you read this thing, you see that he did not believe that he was going to make it. He thought that he was going to die. And he began to describe how he, was, how he was feeling. And he does this by piecing psalms together and saying, that, yeah, that, that, that psalm captures what I feel. That, that psalm right there, yes, that, that right there. He begins to piece it and say that that's the way that I feel. The psalms are very beautiful for that when you're going through hard seasons. Read some psalms and you will see that people in the scripture, you're not much different than them. And so what does he do when he begins to describe this place? He says that it was, he was in distress. He says that the belly was like Sheol, the place of death. That's what Sheol means. He acknowledges that the waves in this place, um, in this place, they are from God. 
God is the one that's hurling the waves at him. He, he, he reminds him, he remembers that, okay, Lord, you were doing that. You were doing that for a certain purpose. Verse 4, he says that he believed that all was lost, and he believed that he would, be, he would never see the sight of God again, and he declares so much so that, listen, I believe that I will once again set my eyes on the temple of the Lord. See, he has to believe that. Because if he doesn't believe that, then that means that he will never see the presence of God. See, the temple is where God is. That's the, his manifested presence is. He said, Lord, I just want to see your presence again. I don't, don't leave me in this place. Don't leave me in this place. He says that the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. This is a person who experienced a traumatic experience. When you read this, this is not a joke. It's, it's not a fable, a story. This is real life stuff. He remembers, the body remembers trauma. Always know that. My most memorable moments in life are the hard seasons in life. I remember those feelings. They stick with me, and it stuck with him. But this is where the meta comes in, meta, the change, the morph. It happens in verse 8. He says that those who pay regards to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That steadfast love in the Hebrew, that is hasit love, God's covenantal love. If I live like I'm a pagan, then I do not have any business with feeling of like I, I'm in God's covenantal love. See, when my, when my daughter does something, or even when daddy does something, but when my daughter does something and, and she knows that she has violated something in our relationship by doing something that she wasn't supposed to do. When I, when I walk in there, I see it all on her face. You can see it. She's uncomfortable and stuff. She can't stand right. She don't know what to do with her hands. She, she, what's, what's going on with you? She, she doesn't have the assurance of my love. Though I love her, she doesn't have the assurance of that because she's carrying guilt and shame within her. He says that, listen, I don't have hope. I abandoned my hope of your steadfast love. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What is he saying? That, listen, I am now going to return back to my confession. I am now going to turn back to my prophetic career and start acting like a prophet. I'm going to start sacrificing to you again, Lord. And he says that, listen, this is the key verse of the book of Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What is he saying? Listen. I have no right to tell God where I'm going to go, where the gospel should be preached, who the gospel should be applied to. I have no right to do that. Lord, okay, I see now. Salvation belongs to you, and I got to go where you tell me to go. This is what this place has produced in him. And this is what repentance looks like in Jonah. Returning back, fresh places, fresh start. The place where he yearns from, for it is coming. And so that leads us to the promise of repentance. See, this is the place where God works this thing out and make that heart into flesh. But there's a promise to it, and we see that promise in verse 10. The promise says that, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God responds to Jonah. God responds to Jonah in his confession by speaking to this fish and said, all right, time is up. He didn't do it a second earlier, and he didn't do it a second late. I want you in there for all three days. 
That's where I need you, but I'm going to respond to you. You're going to see my temple again. You're going to experience my manifested glory, my manifested presence. You're going to see the temple again. You're going to. Don't you worry about that. And God speaks to the, to the fish because he said, that, okay, repentance has been wrought in the heart, and now I can work with this. And we see God's promise to us in John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to ju- and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will do it. This is the promise of repentance of God in our lives. He will send us back to a place. And I remember it so many times in my two decades as a Christian that, Lord, I didn't think that I would come out of that thing. I didn't think that I would ever get back into the regular rhythms of life. But that's God's promise, and God knows, and he's right there with you in that place. But you know what? Some of us, we get so discouraged, don't we? We get discouraged when we think about how we are fighting with sin. You say, you don't understand, Pastor. I hear what you're saying about repentance, but you don't understand the struggles that I have. I keep going to the same thing over and over and over again. You don't understand. And I stop repenting. I stop asking for forgiveness because I know that all I'm going to do is do it again. I got some staleness in my heart. And listen, I want to experience this new life. I want to experience what happens as a result of getting back to dry land and getting out of this season. I want that for my life. Tell me some good news this morning. I got some good news here. We're reminded of Paul in Philippians 1.6. What is he saying? He says, being confident. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on out, to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will carry it out until Jesus come, until the day that you are completely transformed by the twinkling of light. God will do it. Hallelujah. Now let me tell you something. I'm an artist. I love art. I love art, and so when I, when, I, when I paint, whether I'm at home or whether I'm in the public, I begin to paint, and I begin to do what it is that I, that I do. And every time somebody comes around me, they do the same thing. Somebody says, there's always one in the group. They look over my shoulder, and they say, that, that, that don't look like her. <laughs> that don't look like her. And, and while I'm painting, I tell them the same thing. Over and over again, while I measure, and while I lay the foundation, and while I grab my paint and I mix it, I tell them, give me time. Give me time. In time, you will see, but give me some time. That's the same thing that God is telling us in this place. Give me some time. I know what's going on. I am in control of this thing. I am with you, but I am the artist, and you are my workmanship. When people look at you, they got to look at me. They got to look at me. Oh, don't worry about it. I got my own back. I can carry my own back. I can carry my own lightweight. Don't worry about it. God is not through with us. And there is something intentional about those sins that you feel so entangled with. There's a word of encouragement for us this morning. Listen. See, sometimes the sins that we struggle with are not simply acts of things that we need to turn from If you're hitting on your wife this morning, or if you're hitting on your girlfriend this morning, stop it. Come talk to the brothers, and we'll work with you, and we'll see what's going on with you. Some things you got to stop. We got to stop. It's hurting people. It's destroying lives, and we want to pastor you through that. But see, there's, there's some things that it shows a deeper problem. 
And if there are sins in your life that are beset in there and it seems like it's deeply lodged, if there's something going on, then it's trying to tell you something else. It's trying to tell you something else. Hear this quote here. See, while there may prove to be numerous forms of sinful symptoms, sin is not the core issue necessarily. Meaning that the only thing you got to just keep repenting. Yeah, sure, you want to you repent of the symptoms, yes. But there's something deeper before, below the, the layer. The core issue is the damage done by the sins of others deeply wounding a person's psyche. Wounds are to be attended to by healing and not repentance. The antidote for sin, when we, when we, when we sin, the response should be to turn from it. But there's something more that God wants to do because he loves you and he's in relationship with you. It is not just because he wants moral uh, conformity. Oh, he loves you. He got a, he's working with you and he sees what's going on. God came, Jesus came, that we may have life and life more abundantly to the fullness. He, he wants those wounds too. We're reminded of this in Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That's why Jesus came, that we would be healed and fully whole in him. And some of us have some wounds that is leading us down paths of repetitive sin in a particular area. Jesus wants to address that wound. And so this is a good time. Listen, don't ever be ashamed to reach out for help, to go to your pastors, to go to counseling and figure out, let me identify why I continue to go to this thing. Help me because I want to have the healthiest relationship with God possible. And that's our invitation this morning. We're reminded of God's love for us. We're reminded of of this, this sin that he's taken upon him because he loves us and wants relationship with us every week when we meet. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat it. I came and died that you may be healed. I came and died that you may have right relationship with God. I came and died that I may walk with you and take you and guide you by the right hand. Take and eat. Likewise, Jesus took a cup and poured and said that this is the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We have an opportunity here to savor what Christ has come to do. We have an opportunity today to, to, to eat of this meal and say that, Lord, I know that you came because you loved me. And I know, Lord, that you haven't left me as a spiritual orphan. I take this bread and I drink this cup declaring the work that you've done in my life. That is the invitation when we eat this meal today. If you are an unbeliever in this place, we ask that you abstain from this meal. This is for believers, those who have actually placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're still trying to investigate Christianity and figure out what this thing is all about, we invite you into community. We want to talk with you. We want you to know this love that Christ gives. The wine is marked by twine. The juice is not. We say that you should do whatever your conscience permits. And gluten-free options is to my left and to your right. Let's pray.